This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Great American Scream. My name is Devin Wright. Uh, My name is Adam O'Connell. And a little known fact, just a kind of late entry into the fiction of this podcast. And by fiction, I mean nonfiction. This whole time, Adam and I have been dead. (laughs) And this is you listening to just kind of our ramblings of having a podcast for like a, a year and a bit. And now we're dead, and now it's your job uh, to post I, these podcasts to YouTube and hope they get made into a, a blockbuster film? Is that what to, happens? Are they solving our murder, or are they just capitalizing off of it? I don't think there's any solving to be done. <laughs> it's a cold case. Okay, I see, I see, I see. And I, my my next question is, did we, just to jog my memory, did we start making... This podcast after we went missing, or did we go missing somewhere in the middle? I think I think in the fiction, we went out on some sort of adventure, and we're chronicling said adventure by doing totally unrelated podcast episodes. Okay, I see. Unrelated to our adventure. If you listen to them backwards, then you'll find out what we were really doing. Yeah, there are very subtle hints. <laughs> you'll remember in episode 12, I listed out a set of coordinates, and that was actually where we were in the woods. And nobody came to find us, so uh, I guess So we now just, we're dead, Yeah, we did this. <laughs> um, which is fitting, because I thought we would then, I guess, take, and I don't, I guess as we were recording this, we know that it's, <laughs> that, that this it's is going to be the last one. <laughs> yeah. This is um, the last episode of the Great American Scream. The rest of them are post, uh, they're spectral episodes. Yeah, because uh, I thought we would spend it by talking about found footage horror movies. Um, fitting, if perhaps a little insensitive towards our own murders. Um, yeah, but, you know, if you can't make fun of your own death, who yeah. are you going to make fun of? And a little ironic that this is how we go out, but I don't think I would want to go out another way. Blair Witch style does sound exciting. Yeah, how else would you and I specifically go out other than Blair Witch style? Yeah, um, and I have to be completely honest about found footage. It's not my favorite horror subgenre. Okay. Um, but I thought that researching and doing this episode might be uh, a great opportunity to learn about the genre more and maybe learn to appreciate it a little bit more. Um, yeah. Because I, I don't know, I've always found found footage, and we do. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but I've always found found footage outside of like the context of like the mystery to be a little boring. Okay. But that's just me. Yeah. There are certain things I really respect about the, about the genre. I think when it's used as a, as a tool to enhance another part of the story, it can be really, really good. I think it's also used by like a lot of indie filmmakers to, uh, uh, allow their footage to be less than great, which I am all for. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 all yeah, yeah. for giving an in-fiction excuse for why your art is not as good as you want it to, as it was in your head. Yeah. Giving yourself that excuse, God knows I've done it time Me and too. time again. Uh, I also think that when it is, it is put together with uh, 
like the supernatural or the slightly off, I think it enhances uh, the two subgenres enhance each other. Uh, like I think of Chronicle in that way, like not a great film, but um, <laughs> the kind of melding of, oh, this is found footage, but also this is a superhero, supervillain story is super interesting. And I think they kind of play off of each other because we expect the supernatural to be uh, not grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And yet found footage is so by its nature grounded in reality. What I don't have time for is big ass studios acting like they're so cool for having found footage stuff and trying to pass it off in the marketing as this is real. We found this. We found this in a in a small chest in our in our See, grandmother's cellar. I feel like I love that when it's done well. It's one of my favorite parts about when it's found done well, movies. of course. Um yeah. Also, everything you just said was really great and insightful, but stop the podcast for a second. Are you holding an yeah. egg? No, I'm holding a little guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I accidentally, I ripped it his arms off. It looked like off. you had a brown egg in your hand. I ripped his arms off. Oh, Devin accident. is holding, just to describe it for you, dear listeners, Devin is holding a little, I can only describe it as a little guy. He kind of looks like a seal, a little stress ball yeah, It's a little seal. stress ball, yellow seal, <laughs> uh, and he had arms, and now he doesn't have arms. I also have a peach. I did think it was just a brown egg. That's a huge peach. Okay. Yeah, it's very big. Unimportant. Anyway, anyway uh, let's talk about the the history of, of the found footage film because it's uh, relatively new in the horror genre, um, except it isn't. We'll get into it. Okay. Uh, so you are probably quite familiar with uh, the genre. As it's, uh, it really started exploding in popularity and prominence in the horror scene in the Ever early 2000s. Ever heard of a little old film called <laughs> The Blair Witch Project? Uh, yeah, but it did exist before Wait, Blair Witch. stop. Blair Witch Project Runway. (laughs) That's it. Trademark, 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 trademark. Um, That has to have been like a Mad TV sketch. Oh, probably. That's a good Mad TV sketch. Hey, Mad TV, if you did that, good job. Yeah. Um, And found footage is a subgenre that is not exclusive to horror. There are found footage films and TV shows and stuff that are not horror or explicitly horror. Um, But it is where it started and where it is most prominent yeah, uh, that you don't really see a lot of found footage rom coms. Although trademark, yeah. trademark, 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 trademark. <laughs> I really like the idea that like somebody stumbled across these films and they put them in, and it was just The Office. <laughs> like a do- uh, found footage is really just a documentary gone wrong. I mean, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, because that's really the definition of it is to say that a film was found footage means it is made to look like it is some kind of discovered recording, usually on like a home camera or phone or whatever. Um, and uh, it's in the Which kind is, of for it, it kind of ties into analog horror and could definitely I, I bet we'll talk about this later, but mm-hmm. it can make a comeback because of the like the ideas of lost media being so we all remember the best episode of SpongeBob, the lost episode. And yeah. it was just a walk cycle. <laughs> SpongeBob betrayed <laughs> us. Uh, we all remember that. Yeah. Uh, but that like lost episodes lost media are so cool to us and that found footage and horror work so well with them and then you also had the fact that we're now in a time when if somebody comes to you with a vhs you're like oh <laughs> have to play this <laughs> a glyph of the old times <laughs> um and found footage like means different styles of filming there's not just one kind of found footage there's like pseudo documentary or mockumentary um which honestly like that's kind of like mockumentaries are kind of found footage when we're not talking about horror 
it's yeah. kind of loose in that way. Um, but it can also be first person footage. It can be news footage. It can be surveillance footage. Um, and in horror, most of the time we see uh, first person um, or sometimes we see news and pseudo documentary, but mostly it's found footage. Um, but I would love to see horror films employ other techniques, especially like surveillance. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, and we do kind of get that in paranormal activity, but uh, it's a good place to start a horror film found footage because like it's an easy formula because the presumption is that if you're watching this, they're already dead. Something's happened to them right. that you found this. Um, or yeah, I the mean, idea of found footage, like you're finding footage somewhere with a documentary or even a mockumentary, the, the idea of like in fiction meta narrative is like the production company paid this documentary filmmaker to make this documentary or mockumentary mm-hmm. with found footage. It's like, we just, we universal pictures yeah. stumbled across this and now we're putting it on your movie screen, yeah. which is like inherently off putting and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and found footage can also be like, uh, films can employ like found footage without particularly being found footage. Uh, I'm thinking of movies like The Descent or Sinister, where the plot A, either revolves around found footage like Sinister or has moments of found footage like The Descent, even though it's not really found footage because you know that it's fiction in the, like the text of the movie. Again, it's super loose. Yeah. Um, We're talking about a niche sub sub genre. Yeah. Um, but, uh, just as often and probably more often found footage is used for the entire film. Um, and found footage actually has its origins in literature, uh, particularly in what's called the epistolary novel, which is just a fancy word for a novel that's told through things like letters or diary entries. So you guessed it where we come back to Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, we should all have posters of Mary Shelley on our wall. Like she, she didn't invent the epistolary novel, but it's so crazy how everything we talk about on the show is related to Mary goes Shelley. back to Frankenstein. Um, uh, I have a poster of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, and the reason that uh, we see found footage, especially done by both indie filmmakers and big studios, is because it is cheap. Like horror movies Ooh, for studios are already often cheap. Uh, like they they don't spend a ton of money on that, but uh, oh my gosh, our found yeah. footage movies cheap. And horror is the most profitable genre. Yeah. So like, a found footage horror out, movie is. Goes, yeah, a found footage horror movie is gonna make money no matter how terrible it is. It will make money because it's so cheap to make, and horror movies make studios a lot of money. Uh, Paranormal Activity's production budget was fifteen thousand dollars. That's insane yeah their post-production was two hundred and fifty thousand two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars but that's still two hundred and thirty thousand dollar budget for a movie i booked big studio movie that made 193 million dollars at the box office yeah and that post-production like that was good post-production so if you're gonna spend two hundred fifteen thousand dollars like they did it right yeah like yeah the fact that the production itself cost fifteen thousand dollars that's insane that yeah. means it must have shot for it must have taken like like a few weeks to shoot yeah not Not even even. i don't think i think it was very fast turnaround time um and also like we said before found footage is very easy to be scary uh because it puts audience uh into the middle of the action in a way that not a lot of other forms of filmmaking can it's literally for pov pov you're in the blair witch (laughs) 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 um and uh 
these found footage films can even lead to franchises, although it's rare, which is weird because that kind of immediately breaks the fiction of it being right. found footage. Um, yeah, it is rare, but it happens. The Paranormal Activity franchise has six films in it and a seventh film that I think is slated for a release next year. Um, that's a lot. I, it's almost as many as there are Saw movies, and there's a yeah, lot of Saw movies. That's what I mean when I don't really have time for st- like studios doing it non- like to me, for a good found footage film, you need to the creators need to buy in to mm-hmm. the fiction of what they're making, because like you can't you can't <laughs> be like more paranormal activity. We found another VHS tape and it was labeled paranormal activity dot 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 two. That's what they should have called uh, the sequels: more paranormal activity, even more paranormal activity, <laughs> activity five, paranormal six. Uh, the fate of the activity. <laughs> um, so uh, the history of the genre, like you said, it really rose to prominence in the early 2000s, but it did exist before that. Um, and there is some debate as to what the first true found footage film is, because there's some that's like, oh, it's kind of found footage, but not really. Um, but in the horror world, it's generally accepted to be 1980s Cannibal Holocaust. which oh, I believe not you again. Say, we talked about it on the Splatter episode, I think. Ah, oh, dang. Uh, we let you in here. If that. Ah, oh, dang. Yeah. Um, now we'll, we'll really talk about it, talk about it. Uh, honestly, it's a wonder that found, found footage films survived after this movie, but then also makes sense of why they didn't really take off until 20 years later, because this movie left such a stigma around found footage films. No director or studio would would touch it yeah um so this and for good reason yeah so this was a film uh directed by Ruggiero Diodato uh and follows an anthropologist leading a rescue team into the Amazon rainforest to locate a lost film crew who had disappeared while filming filming a documentary on a local cannibal tribe you can probably guess what happens next um this some sort film- of cannibal holocaust yeah this film has some insanely graphic depictions of violence and also actual for real animal cruelty. So do not watch this movie, especially if you're going to like pay money to stream it or whatever. Don't. Yeah. Um, This is a terrible, terrible movie. Um, But also not only this, the film was seized by a local magistrate when it premiered and uh, Diodato was arrested on obscenity charges for how graphic the film was. And then he was later charged. Listen to the name. There's no two words in a movie title that could be like, hey, don't do that. Yeah. These two words. Hey, maybe um, not that. Which actually. is probably exactly what they were going for. They're like, what's the two yeah, words it. that we can put on this movie poster? Um, so he was arrested on obscenity charges and then later on charged with murder Hell due yeah. to or not he wasn't charged with murder, he was accused of murder due to the rumors that the cast had actually died during filming because uh he had the cast sign a contract which ensured they would not make any public media appearances for the year after the film's release in order to keep up the illusion that they were dead. Um, yeah. Which, like, if this was Blair Witch, great, interesting thing to do. Wow, that's kind of neat. In this mm-hmm. one, no, bad, very bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, we see found footage films uh, now usually try to keep up this illusion in a similar way. This Cannibal Holocaust is kind of the first to do it like this um, by, like, not having credits or using unknown actors, having actors use their real names, um, but not quite to this extreme. Like, the closest one was, I think, Blair Witch, and that was not nearly right. as extreme. Um, so Cannibal, Hol- Cannibal Holocaust's infamy left a sigma around the found footage genre that kept large studios and directors away for a long time. 
Um, and there were some indie directors throughout the 80s and early 90s that dipped a toe into the genre, but not anything really significant. Uh, there's a movie called 84C Mopic, which came out in 1989. Uh, there's a mockumentary called Man Bites Dog, 1992. Uh, a movie called Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County, 1998. The Last Broadcast, also 1998. Again, I never heard of these films before researching, so they, they didn't really... Uh, leave a huge mark except walk into life with the confidence of a movie that has a subtitle yeah you know? i know incident um, in lake county <laughs> the last broadcast is rumored to have been produced for as little as 900 dollars uh, <laughs> yeah which is significant because it kind of paved the way for uh like a low-cost digital production pipeline for indie films which is good oh, and which is yeah. how we get kind of these awesome found footage movies that we're about to get um, because they really started kind of flying by the seat of their pants in 1999, which with the, uh, the queen of found footage films, the Blair Witch Project. Yes. Um, fun fact that I found out while researching. Did you know that this film was cast through a backstage listing? Like in the magazine? Yeah, in the magazine. Not on Very the website. Good. I don't think the yeah. backstage website existed in 99. I don't think so either. That's really good. I like that a lot. Can you imagine... I, I mean, like, I don't know if any other actors listen to our show, but Devin and I have both used backstage. And can you imagine backstage but as a magazine? Getting I, a magazine and combing through the stupid entries? I it There would have been many less stupid entries, I would <laughs> That's guess. That's fair. The bar to entry would be probably higher. I haven't yeah. used backstage in, I don't know, so like since I signed with my manager. I I got some projects pitched to me that were not unlike Hey, come to the woods and film this spooky horror film. <laughs> I've so applied I, to many things <laughs> like that. Uh, so I can see it, actually. That actually tracks for me. <laughs> so uh, this film, if you have not seen Blair Witch Project, first of all, skip ahead. Don't let it get spoiled for you. Oh, it my God. Excellent. Um, but I think any most horror fans have seen it. Uh, so it follows three student filmmakers who hike into the Black Hills in Maryland in 1994 to film a documentary on the local legend of the Blair Witch. They disappear and their equipment and footage are recovered a year later. Um, the screenplay was 35 pages long and most of the dialogue was improvised. Um, the film's final cost to make was estimated between somewhere between like two hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars, and it made two hundred forty-eight point six million dollars at the box office. So oh, they definitely recouped, yeah. uh, making it one of the most successful indie films of all time. Because it, when it was made, it was not; it was an independent film, not backed by a major studio um, at all. Hell uh, yeah! And this is also thought to be one of the first films that is primarily marketed through the internet which is kind of almost a standard for films nowadays right. most films especially mystery or horror films have some kind of guerrilla marketing or viral marketing ARG. or arg yeah, yeah, yeah um blair witch was the first to do that uh when the film's official website launched it featured these fake police reports and fake newsreel interviews uh from like people who knew like the missing students quote quote um, and while it was on the festival circuit, audience members were asked by the directors to come forward if they had any information on the whereabouts of the missing students, which is a lot more believable. And it's not still totally believable, but when you're at a indie film festival is a lot more believable than when you're sitting in the theater watching Paranormal right. Activity and you see like Blumhouse right before it and you're like, Ooh, yeah, you see a bunker. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think that a lot of it is... Probably, like there were definitely people who believed it, definitely. But there also had to be a lot of people 
in that kind of very artsy indie festival circuit who are like, they're so, they're like, wow, they're so dedicated to their craft. Yeah. Um, So uh, the trailer was also shown before The Phantom Menace, which uh, made it blow up. Um, Yeah, and with the success of that film, the critic, how critically acclaimed it was. Yeah, but that 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 kind of helped uh, boost it. Uh, when you went to the film's IMDb page, the actors uh, who all use their real names were listed as missing, presumed dead uh, for the year after the film's release. That's a lot. Imagine. Okay, now <laughs> let's let's go back to this. Yeah. Imagine calling your grandmother or me calling my nana and being like, she's like. Well, why aren't you talking to people about this movie you're in? I have to say, oh, it's just for marketing, Nana. And she's like, I checked your IMDb page. It says you're dead. Yeah, Nana, it's it's a grill of marketing. It's going to be big. It's part of it. Um, and uh, they even fabricated the whole legend of the Blair Witch. The Blair Witch is not a real legend. That's the best part of this. Yeah. That's the best part. Like, found footage that is based off of, like, regular legends. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You use this as a jumping off point. But two in the kind of nascent internet to think, oh, we can just make one up and we can probably like propagate it enough that there are going to be kids in schoolyards being like, have you heard of the Blair Witch? Mm -hmm. These kids went and did like, that's so cool. Yeah. And it's not even like they just put a card that said like based on a true story or whatever at the end of the film, they made a fake documentary on the sci-fi network called Curse of the Blair Witch and aired it not to like advertise the movie or anything, but uh, just to put the legend of the Blair Witch in everybody's minds and convince it that it was real. Um, Good job, sci-fi. Which honestly, and this is my 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 perhaps controversial opinion about the Blair Witch. I think, and this is like the only movie that I have with this opinion. I think the Blair Witch is way better if you watched it when it came out in the theaters than you watch oh. it at any point in the future. Because when you watch Blair Witch by itself. Now, if you sat down tonight and watched it, it's good. It's a great movie, but it's not like pick your drop off the floor good or like nightmare is good. But when you were watching it in 1999 and you were hearing all these rumors and you were on the website, you saw the mockumentary, it it adds to the experience. Yeah, I don't think that's that hot of a take. I think I I think most films that are like pretty like just kind of good films. Mm -hmm were leagues better to watch when they were released in the film in in the theater mm-hmm. with the marketing surrounding you like even like i don't know like marvel stuff that i still you know appreciate disney if you're listening please cast me um <laughs> that's not like the height of art or anything mm-hmm. there's no doubt that like endgame is a good it's a it's a good film i guess yeah. but that that guy at 2 a.m. in the Upper West Side AMC I went to, that was incredible. Yeah. Um, I think that's all films. I think that's a good, It's a that's a room temperature take that you should be proud of. Okay, good. This um, is a tea. If the take was a tea, it'd be like just hot enough where when you drink it, you're like, ooh, that's nice and hot. Okay, know? I see, I see, I see. Um, and... I think the Blair Witch, because it was so successful, also set this precedent for the way to advertise found footage films where they all had to be these like ARGs at the same time, Um, which they really get deep into uh, with a couple of these films that we're going to talk about. Um, 
And uh, I mean, Blair Witch got insanely rave reviews. It was beloved by both critics and audiences. Uh, And an interesting quote from uh, film critic Michael Dodd. uh, He said, in an age where anyone can film whatever they like, horror needn't be a cinematic expression of what terrifies a cinema goer. It can simply be a medium through which the terrorist captured by the average American can be showcased. Um, Yeah. Which I think is a very like it's a that's a very nuanced difference that uh, he talks about and something that I think is done super well by found footage films. Um, completely unrelated, there is a 20 minute long Cartoon Network Halloween special called the Scooby-Doo Project. That's the Blair Witch Project, but done uh, by the Scooby-Doo animator starring the Myst- Mystery Inc. It's rocks. It's all on YouTube. It's legitimately, it's not only is it funny, but it's one of the best like short films I have ever seen. When are we going to do an episode on Scooby-Doo, specifically the two live action films? Soon, soon. It's happening. Okay. I just uh, tweeted something earlier about Spooky Island and how if anybody, anybody who knows me personally, like knows what a tragedy it is that Spooky Island isn't real and I can't go there. <laughs> It does kind of have the hallmarks of everything Adam would ever want. Oh, yeah. I would live there. Um, anyway, uh, the only thing about Spooky Island is that their their e-ticket ride is a roller coaster. That's the only problem I would have mm, with it. Yeah. Um, but other than That's that, how you get me to go. We should do an episode where we, we map out Spooky Island. <laughs> we should do an episode a la like defunct land like a fake travel episode on spooky island a found footage episode but it's about spooky island put it on the docket put it on the docket anyway uh can we do that but it's like just it's like in the style of disney food vlog hey (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. hey spooky island gang i've been watching i've been watching so much of her recently not important not important um okay so Blair Witch launched this absolute golden age of found footage films in the early to mid 2000s. Uh, and we get these two huge back to back releases in 2007, uh, starting with Paranormal Activity. Uh, if Blair Witch is like the queen of found footage, uh, Paranormal Activity is the humble prince. The the, the, the humble prince. <laughs> not not humble, not humble. Um, there's nothing humble about per- the Paranormal Activity franchise. Oh, no, God, no. Uh, anyway. So this is a film uh, written and directed by Oren Pelly, uh, famously with a $15,000 production budget. Oh, yeah. um, and this movie follows a San Diego couple who sets up cameras in their home to investigate a presence that's been haunting them, uh, haunting one of them since she was a child. Um, and they try to do a similar thing to Blair Witch Project to make it look as authentic as possible. Uh, the actors used their real names. They were largely unknown. This was an indie film. Like, I know this yeah. franchise now belongs to DreamWorks and Blumhouse, but this was an indie film when it was made. Um, the actors were also only paid $500. That's another story. <laughs> How long did they shoot? I have no idea. I think That's they- That's not I mean, enough for one day. They of, made the way more money. $1,030. <laughs> they made way more money after, like, you know, got picked up by a big studio, but they must have done like three days of shooting for this. So the, uh, um, there was no camera it, crew. I See, now being in the, like, being kind of in the industry, mm-hmm. dealing with, like, contracts and stuff. How, Are you mad for these how, people? <laughs> I'm so angry. Are, were they represented? This, obviously, I don't think they union, were represented, which is no. wild. Like, uh, I mean, how, now they are, but I don't think they were when it How when, did that happen? Like, how in God's name? It, this also wasn't a backstage listing, but it was some other, like, website or newspaper It was Casting listing. Frontier. <laughs> Um, there was no camera crew. The camera was almost always sitting on a tripod uh, or like a stand, which created this very static and surveillance camera-like shots, which is one of my favorite things about Paranormal Activity. Um, yeah. We get like the surveillance footage kind of thing. So after running the festival circuit, 
as an indie film, the film caught interest from DreamWorks, of all people. Uh, And Jason Blum, who this was kind of before Blumhouse became Blumhouse. Blumhouse, yeah. um, Who uh, they wanted to remake it on a bigger budget. Uh, However, they decided before before they did that, they wanted to do a theatrical test screening of the original before going forward with the remake. Um, So they did this theatrical test screening and they thought the movie was bombing because people were walking out in in whores during it. And they went to the lobby to ask people why they were leaving. People were like, we're terrified. Hell yeah, that's, that's the best thing ever. Yeah, that's why we're leaving. Uh, so then I decided to release the film as is with a couple of uh, like edits for special effects stuff and with a new ending. And that new, uh, I want you to guess what major director asked them to change the ending of the movie. Was it Jeffrey Katzenberg? Mm-mm. George Lucas? Uh, no, close. Steven Spielberg? Yeah. Hell yeah. Steven Spielberg loved this movie, but requested the ending was changed. Uh, so they shot a new ending because, that makes of course, sense, if Steven the original, Spielberg the original one you. had Toby the ghost materialize and shoot Steven Spielberg. <laughs> so that makes sense. I mean, the original ending did involve a gun. Uh, but that's why they changed it. Um, makes sense. But uh, if Steven Spielberg tells you to change anything in your movie, it doesn't matter how good you thought it was. You're going to change it. Yeah, unless your name is George Lucas, then you won't change a damn thing. <laughs> um, and so it got rave reviews. People loved it. I don't know if you remember when this movie came out, because we were yeah. young. We were in, what, like, elementary school, middle school? Yeah, we were, like, 11. Um, all the trailers of this movie showed nothing of the movie. They just showed footage of people in the theater watching the movie. Like, night yeah. vision footage of people reacting to this film. Yeah, and I actually, like, I, I think that what... Blair Witch did well in the kind of moment of the internet it came out at. Paranormal Activity nailed in the kind of moment of the internet that it existed in because, mm-hmm. like, YouTube was exploding in 2007. Yeah. So you have people starting to realize what these kind of webcams look like and starting to be able to afford, like, like uh, consumer-level surveillance that's, like, 240p, like, whatever so like using that technology as like a stepping stone for horror it's just it's that same like perfect timing perfect craftsmanship and knowledge of the like current uh, like zeitgeist of culture that's that's that yeah it's just so good um so of course it went on to spawn a franchise the franchise is a varying quality i've heard some of the sequels are awesome and then some are not good at all um and again interesting for a found footage film is it kind of immediately breaks the illusion now there are found footage films who have spawned sequels or franchises that have worked uh i'm thinking of and i talk about it too much in this outline but there's a series called vhs that it's like anthology found footage Um, oh yeah so it kind of makes more sense and and kind of keeps the illusion better than than this does. Which yeah, I mean, in gaming, that's like Outlast One and Outlast Two are very much like that, yeah. where they they just shift the perspective. I think also uh, this is what World War Z, the World War Z movie should have been. Yeah, is a kind of anthology found footage because the book is very much mm-hmm. uh, epistemology. Uh, it's a journalist like re- interviewing people. Yeah, uh, it's such a fascinating way to do it i think anthologies are not used enough in film and yeah they're one of my favorite of kinds of film yeah. um anthology horror films creep show trick-or-treat all the best ones um but uh yeah if you couldn't tell paranormal activity is not totally my cup of tea i the first one's really good um yeah. but uh, if i understand the sequels correctly they are kind of anthology films because they're not really related to each other but they all right. share the paranormal activity name um my thing is like every time i watch paranormal activity i'm like you know it would make this good if it were poltergeist <laughs> 
<laughs> That's fair. I, I think my issue with the sequels is the issue I brought up at the beginning where it is like a – and I really don't like when any uh, corporate entity does this with any kind of art or really anything is the the co-opting of uh, techniques and theming and a lot of times the culture of uh, lesser known marginalized uh, indie art. Mm-hmm. who are using those techniques and aspects of culture not just because they need to, but because they love them. Uh, yeah. And often they are profitable because people can sense the the love and the passion for the thing. And corporations go, oh, the thing they loved about it was this, was the fact that they did found footage. Let's just do that. <laughs> well, that's not the same thing. And passion and love is not an excuse to pay your actors $500. <laughs> that's not what I mean. I'm glad they made more money down the line, though. Yeah, me too. Um, but also in 2007, we get one of probably what is my favorite found footage film ever because it is so freaking scary. Wreck, uh, R-A-C in brackets. Um, this is a Spanish film uh, that it got a U.S. remake called Quarantine that's not nearly mm. as good. It's the same thing, but in English, and it's not as good. Just watch the just watch Wreck, and if you don't speak Spanish, watch it with English subtitles. It's excellent. Um, and this is also another one that became a franchise, and the sequels I don't think are very good at all. Um, Dang it. But the first one is so good. Um, and Javier Botet plays a monster in this movie because, of course, he does. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, so this film's budget isn't uh, as tiny as the other found footage films. This was a major studio movie, uh, and the, but the budget was still $2 million. That's still not a lot of money yeah, to make a movie with. Um, so this film follows a news reporter and her camera crew covering a firefighter intervention at an apartment in Barcelona where uh, some kind of deadly mutating virus has spread that turns the occupants into bloodthirsty cannibals. Um, Obviously, because we're seeing this, they're already dead. Um, of course. And uh, the last thing, like you might have seen like the last frame of this movie somewhere online because it's so scary of like the reporter lying on the floor in the night vision, like reaching for the camera and then she gets dragged away into the darkness. Oh, yep. it's very scary. Um, this movie is excellent. And yeah. I highly recommend to watch. That's um, like, I, I think that another issue I have with, with a lot of large studios doing, and this is, mostly typical of American like large studios doing uh, these kinds of things is they will a lot of times water down uh, the the concepts or the the things being done to make them like more marketable or accessible. What I love about something like this is it just goes like hat on a hat a little bit of like this is a scary mutating virus so it's contagion like but also, they're cannibals, so it's zombies, but it's not zombies. It's a virus cannibalism kind of thing. Yeah. Like, and then melding that with, like, the found footage part. Like, that just hat on a hat is a good thing in horror. <laughs> just keep it complex and wild and weird, and it's yeah. good. And in my opinion, Wreck is, like, the best example from the genre. It's maybe not the best example of all of the tropes and codifiers of found footage, even though it's pretty textbook found footage. But I do think this is the best found footage film. It's so so good um i also want to talk about cloverfield do you remember this movie yes this this uh, this movie this was movie such a weird the, thing in my memory this, this movie does the spielberg thing where it doesn't show the monster and that's the best thing about it and that's yeah. why the sequel was bad um so you may remember much more about cloverfield's marketing than the actual film which is understandable what i realized when i was researching it um 
But it was a pretty cool and innovative way to use found footage. Uh, so this film came out in 2008, had a much bigger budget than most found footage films because it was a major studio. It had a $25 million budget, uh, probably because it was also a monster movie. So most of that went to special effects. Yeah. Uh, so the film is presented as footage from a personal camcorder recovered by the United States Department of Defense in, and it says in the title card, quote, the area formerly known as Central Park, uh, bearing a disclaimer stating multiple sightings of a case designated Cloverfield. Uh, big monster destroyed New York City. Big monster destroyed New York City. I love this stuff. Like, I, I tend to not like it when it's in movie form. Like, when we talk about analog horror, mm-hmm. we talk about video games that do stuff like this. I just mm, love love the archival footage idea of it, but also love the just whack, just crazy alt history or whatever they're going for. That's just so good. Yeah, I think the concept for this movie is so cool. My problem is that disaster movies freak me out in a not fun way, not like in a fun horror movie way, but like legitimately. Um, which is a shame because there's so many good, like I, we watched, uh, I used to be in like an AP environmental science class in high school. And one day yeah. we watched, what's that Jake Gyllenhaal movie? The day before tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I, I, for the day weeks. before tomorrow, I don't remember. known as yesterday or today. today. The day before tomorrow is today. <laughs> um, uh, for weeks I was, I was traumatized. I could not. Yeah. You, you can't watch Twister. Freak myself Earthquake. out. Earthquake. That's the thing. Twister I'm okay with because I've never that's lived sweet. in it. Well, I mean, that's not true. I have lived in an area where they do get tornadoes because I've lived in Florida, but I like that. Twister seems a little bit removed. I don't like disaster movies where like entire cities or planets get destroyed. Yeah. That freaks me out. Um, But what's really cool about Cloverfield is that there's uh, also on this camcorder they found, there's also older footage on there unrelated to like the Cloverfield attack, uh, but using the same characters that you see during different moments of the film, which is like really cool. In the time of being between analog and digital like camcorders and stuff, Mm -hmm. God knows that's super relatable. People are like, I hate when that happens when I'm like scrolling through my pictures to, to show, to show my aunt all the cool vacation photos we took in in St. Lucia and then it clicks one further and it's like, I don't know, some crazy sex party. I don't know. What I was going. <laughs> um, people also reported getting motion sickness from this movie uh, because this was some intense shaky cam because like yeah. it's all running for monsters. Of Cloverfield so. is the shaky cam. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole movie is running for monsters. So of course there's going to be shaky cam. Uh, the marketing for this film was its strongest point, and I think by far the most memorable part of it for most people. Like, I don't know if a lot of people remember seeing Cloverfield, but everybody remembers the website and the the trailers and, and stuff. Yeah. And the Statue of Liberty being, like, broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they launched this massive viral marketing campaign, even bigger than, like, Blair Witches. Um, every character had their own MySpace page, which I think is funny, because this was 2000, what, eight, nine? Yeah, MySpace so is already really, done. Well, it wasn't done, but it Everyone was like we were kind of moving on. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, unlike, but besides that, and like there was a website that had like an ARG where you could see, like you unlock different pictures and the sounds of the monster and files on the monster. But there was also this other part of the campaign that had virtually nothing to do with the film's plot or characters and instead focused mainly on the fictional drink Slusho and the fictional company uh, ter- uh uh, tag. Uh, sorry, I thought I knew how to pronounce this. Tagruado. Tagguardo. Tagguardo. Tagruado. Maybe. Tagguardo. Yeah. Tagruado. Anyway, nothing to do with Cloverfield. Yeah, but I love this. This is good. 
So J.J. Abrams, who was the producer on this film, wanted to create this like meta narrative for Cloverfield and like the universe that take place in using Slusho first. I'm so into that. Because Slusho also appears in other J.J. Abrams films. It's in Star Trek uh, as well. Well, that's a bit far to tie Cloverfield <laughs> into Star Trek. That's a bit of a leap, JJ. Um, I, I really like, I researched more of this campaign and I truly don't understand. I think it's like a you had to be there sort of thing because I don't get it. Um, I think a lot of the people who were who were there probably didn't really get it either. <laughs> but they most like, people yes, remember sir, the Mr. website. Um, yes, and, sir, Mr. The Lost Guy. <laughs> and this is uh, like this, Cloverfield's a really cool movie. It's Godzilla as a found footage film. Which uh, previously until now, because found footage films had such small budgets, they focused on small ghosts uh, in yeah, a way. And that's also what the 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 bright spots of the more recent Godzilla films are those and and films that take a lot of inspiration from them, like uh, Pacific Rim, the bright spots of those are the periods in the film that place you on the ground to see the mm-hmm. scale of the world going on in the destruction. Yeah. And and that kind of perspective probably wouldn't be possible without the stuff that Cloverfield did. Oh, yeah. Um, and the film also spawned two, like, quote sequels, um, 10 Cloverfield Lane and the Cloverfield Paradox, which are more yes. relatives of the movie than they are sequels. Right. Cloverfield uh, Paradox, bad. 10 Cloverfield Lane, good. Yeah. That's the one John Goodman, John Goodman is in, right? Yeah, the John Goodman. The John <laughs> um, Goodman. Uh, I don't think either are found footage films, right? No. Those are just yeah. movies? Yeah, um, those are just regular dang movies. They are writing a a direct sequel to the 2008 one, though, to the original right now. Good for them. So we'll see. Um, and if New York City got destroyed, I can't imagine what it's going to be about. <laughs> Unless it's a prequel. <laughs> they, they're like, now we go to see what happened to Newark. They like, <laughs> get on the path train, which is yeah. still totally fine. Um. And finally, uh, I want to talk about, uh, so the found footage trend kind of fell from popularity from like 2010 on. That's when we started to get just other horror films. It just wasn't as popular. Nobody quite did it as well as Blair Witch. And so besides Paranormal Activity, we didn't really get that many. Um, But in the last couple of years, we've gotten an interesting resurgence in a new form of found footage using the internet. Um, And I want to start by talking about Unfriended. Which gets a bad oh. rap, but I love this movie. I think I'm this sure is a it's great fine, movie. But I hate this movie. I've never seen it, but I hate it, and no. you probably know why. And I it's think the it's YouTube ad that played before every single YouTube video oh. of a dude putting his hand in a blender. Yeah, and that's not okay to put as a YouTube. You ad. can't put that as a YouTube ad. Um, but I think this movie is great, and it gets a bad rap. People are like eh, social media horror movie. It's good. It, it's good. Um, All right. So I'm right, sorry. Jeez. <laughs> On Friday came out in 2014 uh, and does what no found footage film had done yet, uh, uses screen recording, uh, specifically a screen recording of a video meeting like over Skype uh, as the found footage. And what I think is really well done about it is it's not just the Skype, like you see her going to different tabs and visiting different websites and it never breaks the screen recording thing except for the last like four seconds and those last four seconds are dumb and should be cut. Um, just end it with the screen recording. Um, and it's not literally found footage or they don't present it as such because there's no title card that's like, this is the last known footage of these teens or whatever. They kind of just yeah. get into it. That was um, probably because of the time budget. They had to put those last four seconds in. <laughs> so in the Adam cut, you would just cut those four seconds and replace it with a four second just title card that said, this is the last. Yeah, recovered on a laptop teens. or whatever. Um, so Unfriended is is 
told in real time. And it's a story of six high school students chatting on Skype uh, as their conversation is haunted by the ghost of a student who committed suicide as a result of bullying. We found out later in the movie, spoiler alert, the bullying from the people in the group. Um, yeah, why else would they be haunting yeah. this group specifically? Um, I think it's super creative. Um, and I get that if you're watching it on a big screen, you might get sick of the screen cap shtick. Yeah, this one almost could have been like perfect for a Netflix exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like it and think it's really good. Uh, they had a $1 million budget and made $64 million at the box office. Uh, so even though the reviews are mixed, it still made money. Found footage sure. films are always going to make money. Um, and it got a sequel called Unfriended Dark Web in 2018, <laughs> which honestly I think is just as good. There's like one. Sure. But again, <laughs> subtitle needs some work. What are you, is your ghost friend going to buy you a kidney? Like, what are you talking well, about? Well, that's the thing about these two films, too, is like I've seen other horror films that use the Internet in a very like cringy and not like appropriate or not informed way. Yeah. yeah. Um, this especially Dark Web is super like there's a, a big part of Dark Web that's about swatting. Um, oh, yeah. Which is super interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dark Web did its research is what I'm saying. It's pretty good. I, I liked both of them a lot. Um doesn't Dark Web seem like a good name for, like, an internet-based Spider-Man villain? Yeah. Thank you. Marvel, <laughs> if you're listening. Um, I did find out in my research that this original name for this film was Cybernatural, which sucks, and I'm uh, really glad they changed it. That's the name of my supernatural fan fiction, where one of the brothers is a cyborg. Yeah, Cybernatural. <laughs> um, that reminds me, and I've been thinking about this ever since I read this, about how the original... Uh, name I'm going to send Cyberdean to Turbo Hell. <laughs> the original name for Disney's Hollywood Studios was Cinemagine. <laughs> like you shouldn't have. Um, not important, but good on you. Don't be afraid to change the name of your thing, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, be afraid. Always go with your gut. Cinemagine is perfect. That's the Michael Eisner. Mike, you, Michael Eisner, always go with your gut. Everybody else. <laughs> you got a good head on your shoulders. Never let anybody doubt you, Mikey. Uh, anyway, uh, we also there's also a big online marketing campaign for Unfriended, um, especially on Facebook because it's where a lot of the the movies like yeah. plot was, uh, which was cool. Uh, but we also got a cool internet found footage film this year, um, a movie Ooh. called Host, which came out this year, and it takes place during the COVID nineteen pandemic over a Zoom call, and you should watch it. And I'm very anti COVID movies for now. I don't think we need them. Yeah, Just me give either. it four years. But this movie was super good. Um, yeah. It is filmed totally over Zoom and it's great. Go watch it. I won't talk about it too much because it just it came out quite recently. Um, but definitely go watch it if you like found footage. Um, it, 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 was, it was very good, um, which kind of brings uh, me uh, to the end. And I don't I don't know. I don't know. I think this kind of uh, screen recording thing of found footage could take off more. I think people were because Unfriended got mixed reviews. People were kind of scared away from it. But I think it could work. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think your point about like do, uh, the Unfriended ones doing their research, uh, I think that something like hosts playing with the uh, more and more uh, <laughs> reality of us always kind of seeing each other in a way that we didn't used to. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially as we go back out into the world, like in four years doing a found footage film that's like set on Zoom during a time when people are like locked down is like a good idea of like the kind of reminder horror 
aspect, which on that point, I think that there could also be a resurgence, like I said earlier, of the kind of old school, we found these VHS tapes of these kids with a camcorder because you have the mix of the uh, analog horror uh, tech techno nostalgia aspect mm-hmm. of it mixed in with the horror. Yeah. I think it could be good. And here's my big great idea is a found okay. footage. You know how when you take a, a certain number of photos a day on your iPhone, it like puts it into a little slideshow for you? Yep. Found footage film, but you just record everything on your phone and then let your iPhone make the little slideshow for you. <laughs> and that's your found footage movie. I think that's pretty good. I think J.J. Uh, Rooms take note. Yeah. Thinking about the Cloverfield uh, sequel, you could save a lot of money. <laughs> is the is the movie itself just you scrolling through the album set? What if it's just the slideshows that it makes set to like iMovie music? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You put it into like the iMovie trailer thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's very good. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for watching. Watching. Thank you for watching this found footage of us. We're dead now, but. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you can bring us back to life through the magic of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode of The Great American Scream, please leave a rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Best way to spread the word about the show, though, is to tell a friend, so please do that. Also, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash greatscreampod. Tons of great rewards there, personalized video, thank you notes, polls for patrons, uh, early access to episodes, lots of cool stuff. Adam, can you pimp our social medias, please? Uh, yes, you check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream, or much more frequently on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Um, send us your favorite found footage movies. Uh, I would love to find some more. Um, you can tweet at us or post using the hashtag TGAS. And as always, if there is something that you would like to hear about on the show, uh, let us know. Tweet it at us because your suggestion may become the topic for a future episode. Yes. Special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the disclaimer at the beginning of the show, as well as to Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. An extra special thank you to all of our patrons that are on the Man in the Fields level or above. Thank you to Regina, Ben, Gail, Joyce, Melinda, Chris, and Bree. Different order. Different order this week. (laughs) Uh, I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. And if you're coming to look for us, do it safely. Do it safely and don't put your hand in a blender. (laughs) 